welcome to Hi-Ho Radio. I am your host, Melissa, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Johnny. Hello. We're really excited about this week's episode. We've got some really neat stuff to share with you. So on our last episode, we discussed the Disney Cruise Line pretty extensively. But one thing we didn't touch on then was Remy, which is one of the upcharge restaurants on the Disney Dream and the Disney Fantasy. Today, we're going to be talking to Michael, Melissa's father, and also her brother, Paul, about their experience at Remy. So they're going to come on and they're going to talk about everything that they ate, their experience as a whole, the atmosphere, everything about it. Also, we're going to be talking to Paul, um, Melissa's brother, about his very exciting job that he has out in L.A., Um, as part of a digital creative agency working with companies such as Disney, uh, Lucasfilm and Pixar. He's also had the experience of cruising with family, with us, but doing it kind of as a solo traveler, so we'll be talking to him about that. And we'll also be talking to him about his first visit to Disney, his favorite memories, and a lot of other things to do with the world of Disney. everyone we'd like to welcome to the show my brother paul welcome paul thank you we're so glad we can finally have you on it's been in the works for a while now uh getting him on the show and we we are taking advantage of the holiday season and the christmas break in order to have him on the show well i'm happy to be here thank you thank you so let's start things off by asking you the same questions that we've asked our other guests what was your first trip to a disney theme park well my first trip was your first trip and I don't remember what year that was, actually. 1989. That would be 1989. That's my first trip. And I do remember elements of it and of just being overwhelmed in a good way. How About how old were you when we went? Because I was like eight or nine. Yeah, so I was, I was 10-ish, 11. Okay, so tween. Yeah, tween. Did we have tweens back then? No. I don't think we called them tweens we in the 80s. Call them tweens. They were just kids. Just checking. Do you have any specific memories of that trip? I don't know if it was the very first trip, but it was close to the first trip. If it wasn't, uh, it was the memory of our dad getting called up to stage at the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular. Oh, yeah. Uh, where he was a volunteer. Now, I was going to say, was he called up or did he run down and like just join the show? It was probably a mixture of both, knowing Dad. Yeah. And I was totally in, I was just uh, totally taken in by the experience. I was, you know, couldn't wait to see what Dad did. And I, at the time, I was just super charmed by MGM, what was then MGM Studios. Yeah. And I've always been a bit of an actor, so the old Hollywood atmosphere of MGM Studios and the experience of one of our family members being part of the Indiana Jones stunt show was uh, was very special. That I was really neat. Yeah. That and was it, really, really fun. It's hard to, I mean, tomorrow I'll have a different answer because <laughs> I had a lot of great memories early on with Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's also where, like, in Japan, in uh, Epcot. That's where I believe mom got me the book on Aikido, which would be a martial, as a Japanese martial art, I would go yeah. on to study for a long time. It was a big part of my life. I didn't know that's what triggered that. That was the seed, was a oh. book that we got in Epcot. And Epcot itself was my first spaceship Earth ride, mm-hmm. I remember. And that was amazing. And I was terrified when you go in the reverse, go down yeah. the downslope. I was always petrified because the angle I thought was so steep. Yeah. But everything was okay, and that was also, I think, the first time I remember getting a blast of that smell, like smell as part of the ride experience, because you get that 
the smoke from the burning of Pompeii in oh, Spaceship yeah. Earth. That's a good one. And we probably did Horizons on that trip too, where you get the orange, you get the orange grove coming around the corner. Yes, that was the orange. A good one. That was huge. So lots of lots of like memories that are vying for like first deep Disney impressions. I had forgotten about Dad getting picked for Indiana Jones though. That was fun, and it's still a fun show. I you will still go see Indiana Jones when when we go to Hollywood Studios as it's called now because it was it's just a fun show. I know it's the same show that it was in 1989 and here we are in 2018 and it's the same thing. But if you're a fan of the Indiana Jones movies and you've never done it, make sure and go do it once. It's super fun. Yeah, great show. If you're going to sit down and, and be in front of a show just showing you something, there's there's something special about the stunt spectacular. It just feels more interactive. Uh, for sure. It's also a nice place just to take a break and during the summer months as well, if you're there when it's hot. So if you're standing at the Ticket and Transportation Center, okay. do you take the monorail or the ferry boat to the Magic Kingdom? Well, can I get in the front of the monorail? You can't anymore. Right. This Sadly. is a this is a big deal uh, because riding the in the front or the back of the monorail was so much fun for us as kids. That was the car the cab you wanted to get into for yeah, sure. That was a big deal. You'd you'd skip a few monorails and wait Absolutely. to get in the front of a monorail. I think it gave you the same feeling as when they hand you the red card when you're in the line. Mm-hmm. It was the same <gasps> only at Disney. Only at Disney. Yeah. I got picked to hold the line card. Getting to see like the contemporary come up as you're going to pass into it is very cool. So That was pretty cool. And I think we got stickers or pins or you got something if you rode in the front and you were a kid. Yeah. And I would say that I would like the ferry actually, but it would also depend on what kind of vacation I was having, like it, having like if I was having a quick vacation where it really I was really trying to hit certain track attractions and get certain things done I probably wouldn't feel comfortable taking the ferry I would want to just get there uh, but if time really wasn't relevant to my experience I would I'd be willing to take the ferry if you are at Epcot and you are going to a festival do you pick to go to the flower and garden festival or the food and wine festival I love food and I like to spend uh, money on food and drink, and I do drink uh, sometimes, so the wine a portion of it would be interesting to me. But the flowers are very impressive. It's a hard question, uh, but I think just on a culinary adventure level, I'd probably have to go food and wine because I'd love yeah. to test. And they've really, over the last several years, really stepped it up. It is so much more than it was initially and there's so many more booths and so many more different places all throughout epcot where you can get food it even kind of bled over into future world now where it was just in the world showcase but now it's kind of everywhere so yeah food and wine food and wine i mean nothing against the flowers nothing at all no. i mm. love the flowers they just don't taste as nice they just <laughs> they just don't taste as nice all right and lastly if you were going to be a face character or a costume character in the parks who would you want to be or on the ship. Or on the Disney Cruise Line. Growing up, my favorite Disney character was Donald Duck. But I think if I was going to actually do the, the work of being a costume character in a park, it would be Fantasia Mickey. Nice. Yeah, and then I'd be able to be part of Fantasmic. And, uh, and also, Fantasia Mickey is goofy. So you get to have... He's kind of a klutzy. But... He also wields magic. 
So I think it combines a lot of cool stuff. And our father, in the 70s, I think, uh, uh, painted a picture of Mickey on the cliff uh, directing his magic. And mm-hmm. I have a very nostalgic connection to that painting. So that's that stuck with me. But my tie would be Frollo. <laughs> because if you get, or, or kind of any Disney villain, because you get to be, you get to let the guests get the better of you, which is fun. Yeah. And um, you can be snarky in your kind of the attitude you express. Mm-hmm. And he's got attitude. For those of you who don't remember, uh, Judge Claude Frollo is from Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is a really, I think, underrepresented Disney film for the most part. Uh, but he does get to come out with the villains when they do villain parades and things like that. So that's fun. You do a good Frollo. At least they have a song in Happily Ever After now. They do. Do they really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be cool. Paul, what is your favorite Disney hotel? This is a deep and important question. The answer to which will change depending on the day you ask me. But we're here today. And I think I have to go with the hotel that started off uh my whole concept of Disney and being with the family doing a Disney trip and that was a contemporary. It's a good choice. I also really liked the Wilderness Lodge even though when we stayed there we didn't stay long and we had some problems with our room and we ended up kind of aborting that part of the trip and going to a different hotel or resort but the aesthetic of Wilderness Lodge I thought was really nice and I really liked it. It really is and you're very outdoorsy so I can see that you would like that aesthetic and they've actually really just added to it a lot more they have a new uh, dvc section and these new cabins that sit right on the water so they've done a lot recently to upgrade wilderness lodge but i can also see why you'd like the contemporary is there any particular reason that you well that was the first uh, place we stayed uh, when our first disney trip and uh the monorail coming into the hotel it's so it is so tomorrowland Mm -hmm. it's so living in the future in a sort of mod deco futurism sort of way and i think that's i think there's something very charming about that okay moving on from that do you have a favorite disney park disney park i have to say i had it's been a long time since i'd been to animal kingdom but recently my last trip i went to animal kingdom and um pandora was there and that sort of became the park for me yeah animal kingdom's really neat and something that we've always wanted to explore a little bit more than we've actually gotten a chance to on our vacations yeah i mean for us recently it's been like oh it's just half a day but now it's not now you you really want to spend more time now you need you need a full day at animal kingdom now or at least a a half a day here and another half a day yeah i mean my time my ideal park would actually be a combination of a few of the parks together and the foundation of that mix would be Epcot but uh and there's a lot I could as an adult and that's another thing is that if my answer as a kid and my answer as as an adult are two different things in a way I always loved Epcot that was always generally number one for me as I thought about it but as an adult I could spend all day just hanging out at the different at the world pavilion and I'd consider it a day well spent and it might be a little bit different than if I was a kid (laughs) okay you have three days Uh uh-huh do you take a cruise do you go to Disneyland or Disney World I go to Disney World because I can also scuba dive at the Living Seas. Nice. Nice, so, which you have done, right? I almost did, but then I got violently oh, ill. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. We Bad were memory. sick. Bad memory. <laughs> but, that's, but, but, I mean, it's worth saying it can, it can happen on vacations. It and can, yeah. I got a case of food poisoning from something I ate at the Contemporary. <laughs> and... <laughs> 
and I don't I know what I don't know what it was I ate specifically, but I know what meal it was, and um, unfortunately that led to a sleepless night that uh, ran over my scheduled dive trip with my dad to the living sea so we're not able to go but if you're going to be sick with food poisoning disney world's the best place to die <laughs> speaking of scuba diving though a lot of people don't know that you can scuba dive in the living seas pavilion at epcot it's um, a separate charge you have to book in advance but a really neat experience that my dad has done a couple of times and i'm really sorry you didn't get to do it this last time but hopefully in the future you guys can go again i hope so too that's part of why i think i would make my answer what it is that I would do that I would do Epcot and Living Seas what because because that Living Seas gives me a piece of what the cruise would offer to me because part of the cruising for me was a little bit of the extracurricular and the diving component in the Bahamas was huge for me so I get a little bit of that by going to Disney World and and then I can hang out in Epcot and I can go to Animal Kingdom nice so you have spent a day or a half a day at Animal Kingdom on your own. Mm-hmm. We, um, our, our last trip in April, we all left to go back home, but Paul's flight wasn't scheduled until later in the day. So he made a day of it. And we kept getting all of these pictures and videos of him just running through Pandora. And just, it was really, really funny. Yeah, it was uh, a crazy time. It was my first time really being solo at a park. Yeah. And I did the rope drop drop run for Pandora (laughs) and made it there, got in. Did Flight of Passage. Did Flight of Passage, which is an amazing ride. Did you do Navi River? I did Navi River. And my feeling about it is that it was a a beautifully done ride that was entirely too short. (laughs) (laughs) Just didn't seem like there's much going on. Yeah, it's a beautiful aesthetic. It's chill. Mm -hmm. If it... I would be able to feel like I was decompressing in that chill if it was a longer ride, but it is sort of a ride where you're on it, you're off it. Yeah. And there's like no big finale. There's There's no no big finale. Real storyline that's happening. I have a feeling that there's going to be a Navi River segment of the show at some point. Yes. um, Because I do have strong feelings about Navi River. It is a dark ride. Yeah. I guess. It is a dark ride, and it is. I think it is very pretty, and it was a way to chill after my sprint mm-hmm. to Flight of Passage. Flight of Passage is just an incredibly strong ride. Yeah. It's a great attraction. It, the Pandora itself is such a beautifully well-done, uh, themed section of the park. Okay. If you could ride Flight of Passage yep. or Figment. <sighs> Why do you have to do this to me, Johnny? Because I like the look on Melissa's face. I don't like Journey into Imagination. There, I said it. Okay, it's not that I don't like it. It's not that I don't like it. (laughs) Of inspiration. I just miss the old one. I miss the original, and then it went through several incarnations that were terrible, and now it's at one that's like... Let it go. I can't let it go. (laughs) I can't let it go. Well, it's a a tough question for me because Journey to Imagination, especially as I first experienced it, like the original Journey to Imagination, is a nostalgic hit that, like that Flight of Passage can't give me because it's so new and it's something I'm only going to get to experience as an adult. But Figment's your boy. Figment is my boy. My boy, that was he was always my favorite like mascot of the Disney experience was Figment. So it's hard to go back on your boy. Figment, Flight of Passage. Whoa. Whoa. Now I would ride a Figment Flight of Passage. I would no, ride. No, you wouldn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's deep. 
And I would ride that ride. Yeah. 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 Next up, we are going to be talking about Remy, which was one of the fine dining restaurants on the Disney cruise ships, the Disney Dream, and the Disney Fantasy. And here to help us do that are Paul and Michael. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back to the show, Dad. It's nice to have you back. Thanks. So in April of 2017, we did a family cruise on the Disney Dream, during which you guys were able to dine at Remy's for dinner. We sure did, and it was a very memorable experience, probably one of the most memorable meals of my life. Absolutely. Not only the, uh, the ambiance of the restaurant, but looking out over the ocean and uh, having a wonderful table service at the same time and incredible food was really one of the best, best meals I've ever had in my whole life, actually. So just to give you guys some background on Remy, there are two upcharge restaurants on the Disney Dream and the Disney Fantasy. There is Paolo, which is more Italian, and then there is Remy, which does a mix of French as well as an American menu as well. Remy charges $125 per person extra to do dinner at Remy, and they also do a couple other special things throughout the cruises. They'll do a champagne brunch, which is $65 extra, and then a dessert experience, which is $60 extra. So hopefully between the brunches or the dinner, at some point you'll be able to experience Remy when you go on a Disney cruise. One of the first things I remember uh, about the restaurant was on board there was a a violinist who plays in the lobby. Yes. And... uh, it was wonderful, but very early on in your meal, she comes upstairs to the restaurant and then plays the uh, theme to um, the Ratatouille on the violin and walks through the, uh, the restaurant. That's pretty magical. I remember having some of our meal at the start when the violinist started playing, and I just about wept because the combination of the atmosphere, you know, the general ambience, the music, and this incredibly sumptuous food we were eating was just overwhelming. Aw, that's so neat. So do you guys remember what you ate? Well, I remember they had uh, two types of meals you could get. Um, I think it was the American and the French, right? That's right. There are two fixed menus. Okay. Did you get one of each or did you both go French, both go American? We got one of each so we could share. Nice. Yeah. uh, The common denominator is butter (laughs) and uh, cream is probably a close second. Nice. Followed by chocolate. Oh, love that too. So what sort of things did you eat? Uh, There was a mousse they brought out early on uh, that was so rich I couldn't get through all of it. Uh, Dad uh, handled both. (laughs) Uh, It was delicious though. What kind of mousse? It's it was actually almost a savory mousse. I felt I don't know if you remember that, but it was oh, almost. Do you remember that? Was it liver? It was served almost in a martini style glass, but it was a savory mousse, and I think the key ingredient might have been liver, like a pate that had been made into a mousse. Which, if you're listening to that and thinking, "Ooh, gross," uh, I understand. <laughs> uh, it is a little strange texturally to have a a savory dish like that prepared that way. However, the flavors were really, really good. We had, I don't know the names you would call uh, a lot of our dishes that we had. I remember them visually. There was a a beautiful dish that involved some green vegetables, which you (laughs) would not think was 
immediately appetizing, but that butter uh, element <laughs> was very much a part of it. It's definitely traditional French style cooking, uh, so the saucery of everything is very important, and uh, that that cream and butter component to almost every dish is very mm -hmm. present. So I that's something to be aware of if that's something you're sensitive to or don't like as well. Were they small portions, lots of small portions? Yeah, I, nothing was what we would call typical, quote unquote, typical American size. Everything was a little bit more European size. What about that sea bass, Dad? Uh, I really like the sea bass. And uh, as you said before, it was uh, swimming in butter. The portions, because we were sharing them, were small. Because I would take one bite and you would take one bite and it'd be gone. Yeah, it's a, Remy has the feel of, although being classically French, kind of having more of a tapas style. Were you hungry at the end? What did it fill you up? Oh, absolutely. Okay. You were filled up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 it was actual, seven courses. Yeah. It's several courses. The actual caloric content of each <laughs> meal is pretty substantial, even though physically like small. Right. Now, was it, did you just have one dessert? Was it a couple of different desserts that they brought to you or? Yeah, we had uh, two different desserts again that we shared. And if we had looked peckish at all, they would have just brought more out. Uh, one of the things I remember that was really wonderful was the Lagostine Royale that, with the caviar. That was amazing. Yeah, it was a very simple kind of dish. It's just uh, the Lagostine, but then caviar on top, and this, the sauce that it's sort of bedded in uh, just all combines really, really nicely. It was wonderful. Can you remember what was your number one, what your favorite dish was? My favorite dish was actually the violin. <laughs> but it was for me i mean as good as the food was and it was very very good uh the overall ambience and execution of everything around you and for you was just really memorable to me yeah the service was was top notch it was as good as any restaurant you i've ever been in and so that was part of it but uh like you said before the the two desserts that we got were just spectacular and i think I have a picture of a couple of them, so I will send those to you, Melissa, and you can post them. Absolutely. Did you see any special ratatouille touches throughout the restaurant? <laughs> yes, there was a glass of Remy in the chandelier that was uh, beautiful. It was a very sort of traditional upscale uh, aesthetic. And like I was saying earlier about how there's elements of being on a Disney cruise that are not over Disneyed. Remy had a big feel of that because there were little touches that let you know that you were still in the middle of a Disney experience, but it was very much like an adult French upscale restaurant in most ways. The um, dress code was upscale also. A jacket was required as well as uh, a tie. So a step up from Paolo? Yes. It's, it's yeah, sl even more upscale than Paolo in its expectation. I was wearing four-piece. So you could choose from one of the two menus developed by Scott Hunnell at uh, Walt Disney World's Victoria and Albert's restaurant and Chef Arnaud Lament from, I can pronounce that. Yes, how do you pronounce that? I would say it's Laze Chapenois. Ooh, that sounded fancy. A Michelin two-star restaurant located just outside Realms, France. Oh, neat. So they really, they really went to the best to get this menu. They did, and it shows. There really wasn't a weak note for me in the tasting of either menu. Did you have anything that didn't? Mm, nothing. Nothing at all. It was fabulous. Every every single bite. So it really is a bit of a, an adventurous menu. So if you're thinking about going to Remy, I would definitely look online uh, at the menus that are posted online. 
and just see if if these dishes are something that would be to your liking because it is a uh, an extra expense on your cruise and it's totally worth it <laughs> i think you should everybody should do it once anyway to just experience it it's really really fantastic so maybe not something that you do on every cruise but something to at least treat yourself for a special occasion maybe or you know just to do once to have the experience yes on every cruise i will go to palo but not every cruise I will go to Remy. That's what I was going to ask. You've both done the Paolo dinner and brunch, but we're specifically talking about Remy dinner right now. So how would you compare the two? And if you could do one, like if for dinner tonight, which would you choose? I would go with Remy, but that's not to take anything away from Paolo. I think they're both very strong experiences. I really like the style of cooking that you get in Remy and there's something charming to me about the fact that they can stuff you with actually quite small portions and even though you have to dress up for it a little bit more and maybe even because you have to dress up for it a little bit more the overall ambience is just so strong with Remy uh, that the slightly more casual Paolo for me uh, I guess just takes a, a bit of a backseat, but nothing against Palo. I would go to Palo. I like the variety. Uh, it's a little less expensive and for what, $60 less or what, $90, oh, I mean, it's, it's, $90 yeah. less. I think Palo has a lot more variety and uh, is uh, I like being a little more casual and just being able to relax more. I mean, the price difference between the two restaurants is significant. So I think you're right, you check the menus. If it's something you think that you'd like to do, go for it, Remy's. Yeah, and the variety at Palo, like I said, you can choose from the menu, and, and you, we're not talking about Palo now, so. <laughs> but it does have a, it does have a big variety, and especially if you do the brunch, you can choose from their menu, or you can do um, the buffet, or both, or the waiter will just bring you food. It's two different experiences. It really is. Yeah. Right, and I think uh, we should mention since we last recorded our previous episode, the price of Palo has gone up from $30 a person to $40 a person for the dinner and the brunch. Yeah, So they and Remy also did have a price increase as well. It was 95 and is now 125 So quite a big increase there for Remy. We'll see what people think about that, but it sounds like you guys would definitely go again if you had the chance. Sure, and if you were going to celebrate a special occasion like an anniversary or a birthday, it might be a really nice upgrade to, to do something like uh, Remy's. Or just take your significant other on a date. That's the date spot right there. <laughs> One more element that we wanted to discuss was the service. How does that compare to Paolo? Just my opinion. Uh, Paolo's service is very, very good. The, I mean, the service on a Disney cruise in general is very good. Uh, Paolo's service is no exception. In Remy's though you're paying more, you are also receiving an even higher level, in my opinion, of service. You're just very, very well attended to by people that are very knowledgeable about everything that is being served to you. And you never feel like, how would I put it? There's a great balancing act that you have to perform as a high level server where you're always attending to your guests needs, but also not hovering over them. And in Remy's, they were very, very good about <laughs> walking that line. Well, awesome, guys. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about Remy with us. I know our listeners will really appreciate all of your reviews and feedback. And if you've been to Remy, we'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at Hi Ho Radio and let us know your thoughts on Remy. And share any pictures that you may have taken of your meals as well. Thanks a lot. Now I'm hungry.
So one of the reasons we're so excited to have Paul on the show, not only to talk about his memories of Disney and his experiences at Disney, is that out in Los Angeles where he lives, he works for what's called a digital creative agency, which I'm going to let him explain all about, but it's super cool and I think you guys are really going to enjoy hearing all about it. So I am an actor and writer from birth pretty much, but my day job over years of being out in Los Angeles has been programming and that led me to work with a company that is in the marketing realm but we do pretty much strictly digital ads so a digital creative agency is a is sort of a marketing agency that uh, specializes in the banners and digital advertisements you usually see peppering a website anything that's kind of not a print marketing material like a poster or a billboard it's something you might see on your computer or television it's more in the digital sphere and that's the kind of stuff that we try to execute uh, we became very fortunate to as vendors uh, become a company that was authorized to work with and for disney and uh, something that a lot of people might not know is that with the entertainment industry studios a lot of creative executions or advertising executions aren't necessarily pulled off by an in-house team but rather through a vendors that have um, a very high security clearance basically to work with them. It's sort of a tiered system where uh, companies have multiple tiers of what their access level is to materials and that would dictate whether or not you got materials in advance of a movie release, for example. Oh, okay. So they try and keep stuff you know, secret so stuff doesn't leak. Right. If you are um, an, an agency that doesn't have a lot of security clearance you might still work with disney but you might not be working with any of the assets that they would provide you like movie materials or key art until after the movie's out but if you are a highly trusted vendor in the security level then you might receive assets before anything has come out oh neat have you have you gotten to work on anything that was higher security before it came out yes well um, we're very fortunate in that the company that I work with is at the maximum security level so that we can receive anything from Lucasfilm, Pixar, Marvel, Disney. Uh, we, we can receive assets that are related to those projects that would be within those studios in advance of movie release. That's so cool. We think so. We get, <laughs> we're a bunch of geeks and we are a bunch of pop culture fanatics and we have always been thrilled to be able to, to work that way and get that stuff in advance. Though I like to not watch, if we receive a movie in advance, I like to not watch it if I can help it so that I can see it in the theater. A lot of these properties you want to see in a theater. So how far in advance would you get something like that? It depends. If it's Lucasfilm, you're not going to get it very far in advance. Uh, you're gonna, you might get um, some stuff a week in advance of the actual release, and it won't be in like receiving a full movie but it might be receiving some kinds of key art that you might be able to manipulate into an advertisement and that in and of itself might be a little spoilery or just a little bit more than they want to reveal to the public right before the release of the movie that's really cool so what what other kinds of things do you do i know you've done some some work for the d23 Expos. yeah d23 is like the comic con for pure disney geeks and uh, we've been fortunate to be able to participate in uh, 2015 and 2017 um, D23s. So for 2015, it was very interesting. We had never done anything like this before, but we ended up successfully pitching an idea to Walt Disney Studios 
to help advertise for the Alice Through the Looking Glass movie. And that execution was what we would call like a Snapchat face filter now. Now if you have Snapchat or even Facebook and Instagram, there are some what they call like filters or effects you can apply over your face to make it look like you're wearing a mask of someone or something like that. Well, We do those all the time with our son. <laughs> yes. So before any of that existed, we had the task of actually making that. And I don't want to make too bold a claim, but we were kind of first to market. We took facial tracking technology and found a way to tie that into a graphic interface so that you could sit down and choose one of the characters from Alice Through the Looking Glass to become at a booth. So it was a sit-down experience and we had to build not only the booth and how all of that worked, but also the area around it that we were given to play in in D23, your allocated spaces. We had to build all that up and make mm -hmm. it look and Disneyfy it. Mm -hmm. And uh, also we had to create an execution that would provide a shareable or something that um, a user could take away with them. In this case, a still image and a small MP4 video of their transformation experience. Did um, any of those booths make it into a park? Yes, they did. It, 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 was, a, it was a crazy ride uh, making that experience. We had uh, Bob Iger himself came by before D23 opened and gave us uh, the thumbs up on oh, it. That's so cool. So we were thrilled with that, and that was a huge relief. And uh, it was, we think without like bragging or let's not a boast we think it was like the top attraction at d23 because it was it wasn't a toy to buy and it wasn't a strict advertisement it was kind of an experience we had a 45 minute disney q line to use to use for that and uh, eventually they asked us to bring uh, two of those booths to be in disneyland and so for a while we actually had a like Disney theme park attraction or one of our executions connected to it. That's really cool. With the Alice Through the Looking Glass exhibit, didn't you guys also have that on a TV show? Yes, there is a TV show called Shadow Hunters on Freeform. And we were, again, very fortunate in our timing of everything. And the, the team did a great job with making that exhibit that uh, they somehow, Disney got us to bring two booths basically up to Toronto where they filmed Shadowhunters. So we got to spend some time up in Toronto installing a couple of those exhibits in the Shadowhunters kind of home base. And there's a there's a kind of an alternate reality through the looking glass themed sequence in one of the episodes. And as part of like the background of that they wanted people being able to turn into Alice in Wonderland characters. That's so cool. Yeah. I we remember watching that on TV. That was really fun. Yeah, we were thrilled with that. That was that was a lot of fun. And that gave us entree to pitch again to uh, the next D23. D23 takes place every two years. So we did 2015, and then we got invited back to do an exhibit for A Wrinkle in Time in 2017. Awesome. What all did you guys do for that exhibit? That was a slightly smaller exhibit where we took what you might think of as like a BuzzFeed quiz, but we we wrinkled it, we Disneyfied it. We made it a fun experience where you would take a quiz in front of a large touchscreen panel so you didn't have to interact with anything except with your hands and you'd spin this cube that had a there was like a we called it a tesseract and that it, you could see within it like a whole other world 
but if you spun the side, you'd see a totally different world, and you, we would incorporate that idea so that when we're asking you questions like, what's your favorite thing to wear to the beach? You'd turn aside and you'd see a three-dimensional pair of sunglasses, or you'd turn another side and you'd see a three-dimensional like, scarf, and you, oh, you'd go so through several questions, and then it would tell you who your traveling companion would be along your journey, because in Wrinkle in Time, there are there are these magical creatures that uh, are guides and guardians of the of the protagonists of the film. That's so fun. I bet people really enjoyed that. Yeah. Again, it wasn't one of those things where we had to have people line up because we had two running at once and there's a very quick experience. So we had lines, but it didn't quite get to the 45 minute mark because it, <laughs> it, you processed people pretty quickly. But we got to see Wrinkle in Time in advance at the Michael D. Eisner Team Disney building. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was a, one of the craziest adult experiences <laughs> of my life as someone that appreciates what Disney does is getting to go to Walt Disney Studios itself, or what they call it the Seven Dwarves Building, but that is the Team Disney Michael D. Eisner Building, and that's where Walt Disney Studios is actually headquartered. That's so neat. Yeah. Now, could a regular person get a tour of Walt Disney Studios? No, if you're, I believe if you're a member of D23, you can arrange a tour, but um, Disney and I believe Fox, maybe one or two other studios don't have regular public backlot tours. It is, it is kind of a special circumstance if you can tour it. Walt Disney Studios is a campus layout with sound stages on it and corporate offices like the, the they call it the seven dwarves building because at the top of the roof there are the six dwarves holding up the roof and then towards the steeple part of the roof there's dope a, a smaller size dopey in the middle so you walk through this this large entryway and it's it is really interesting and it, what's also interesting about it is the contrast because it's very magical and then you go in and it's, and it's a very interesting layout but there's also totally totally normal just corporate offices that you yeah. would see in any other place with just regular folk working hard and for wrinkle we got to uh, several of us got to go into that kind of area and just go into one of their conference rooms and screen wrinkle in time so we knew kind of how to best market it at d23 that's so cool yeah is a is a fascinating experience when we got to pitch to the head of walt disney studios global you know marketing which is for an advertising agency that's about as far as you're gonna yeah. go yeah there's, there's really nothing beyond that. It was there? a surreal. We had a, a much more threadbare form of the Alice execution, just the ideas as opposed to anything specific. And we had just kind of rigged something that we could bring with us and show them and crossed our fingers. <laughs> and the, the team we met with was very accommodating, very nice. And we were sitting across from them and I was just pinching myself going, as an actor, <laughs> this doesn't benefit me at all. But from the perspective <laughs> of... The work that we're doing, this is incredible. It is. You guys, what you guys did for the D23s was so neat. And I think if, if you go online, maybe on YouTube, you'd be able to see these exhibits. They're really fun. So check those out if you get a chance. And we can also try and put some links in our show notes too. So you guys can get a visual of what uh, these exhibits were because they were really fun. Thank you. We were really proud of them. Something else that you've talked about working on recently are the Amazon Echoes and the different things you can do with that as a kind of new platform for marketing and advertising. Absolutely. There is always a need to stay tr in track with the technology of the day for all of these studios, and Disney is definitely no exception. They try to stay ahead of it. So as 
uh, Amazon opened up their platform with the Alexa product to, for developers, we started trying to take advantage of that for our marketing purposes. Like what could we make that would help um, push along uh, sales uh, for something coming out for home entertainment? So if, when any of their movies are getting ready to go on DVD or for purchase digitally, how would we kind of encourage people to, to to, to visit Amazon to go to that purchase page. And we found a lot of openness in Disney to explore those ideas. So one of the things we made was a quiz for Avengers Infinity War, which was our, our first Alexa experience that we offered. And then um, shortly after that, also a Alexa quiz for Solo. So basically you're just at home and you say, Alexa, what do you say? <laughs> well, it's interesting. The way you uh, program for Alexa, you have a few options of what you can say to invoke the, what they, they call it a skill. When you're talking about an app uh, that Alexa is using, they call it a skill. And to invoke an Alexa skill, you can say one of, they give you like three options that you can dictate. But what you would have to do first is enable the skill. And you do that just on Amazon. You just find a skill you like through their skill store, enable it. Maybe you have to pay, maybe you don't. And then once it's enabled, that's tied to the device that is using your account. So any of the devices that are using your account, then when you say, Alexa, play solo a Star Wars story of trivia, then you'll start to hear the experience that we created come in. Awesome. That is really, really neat. Another way just to have more Disney at home and more Star Wars at home. And they're really fun quizzes, too, if you haven't tried them. A good way to practice the trivia on the ship. Yes. Yeah, ship trivia is a big deal in our family. We did want to talk to you about your experiences on the Disney cruise because you've had a couple different experiences now. You've uh, done the veranda stateroom, uh, but also done an inside stateroom as well. So we'd love to hear about your experiences on the Disney Cruise Line. Well, I am six foot one, so that makes cruising a slightly different experience uh, than it does for some other folks. Anyone in the six foot or above club will probably relate to what I'm saying, but outside of anything I might love or dislike about cruising, I will say categorically that cruise lines and tall people are not usually a good mix. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, it's, it can be challenging, especially if you're someone that is, I'm not, but if you're someone that feels a little claustrophobic or has a tendency to like, you just don't like being too close to the ceiling of things. It is different when you're on a cruise. It is different if you're on a, I'm sure it's not specific to Disney, but in general, it's, you, you know, you being in the area with all the rooms, going through those hallways is just- Are they a little short? They're a little short. And uh, you want to spend your time outside. <laughs> <laughs> so that being said, you've, you've experienced the veranda. Yes. You've experienced the inside stateroom. What, how do you feel about them? Well, I felt the motion of the ocean less in the interior stateroom. Really? That's interesting. So uh, I feel like that might be an important point for people that are, might be sensitive to that. I'm not sensitive to ocean motion. So it doesn't, uh, it didn't bother me from that respect, but it was something I definitely noticed a lot when I was in the interior stateroom is that I just wasn't feeling as much of the of the cruise of the cruise line itself and not having a, a ocean view or a veranda it didn't bother you it didn't bother me it's still a very nice room the interior aesthetic is what you expect it to be and the bathroom was the same as you got on the veranda from my memory and uh you had the same entertainment options it looked and felt largely the same you just didn't have the ocean view so what other things did you enjoy doing on the ship i loved just 
being able to walk the ship. Uh, I like to be outside on the outer uh, area where the, the, the full track that runs mm -hmm. the ship. I love just, just taking that walk. I uh, really liked the trivia that we Yay, played. Another point for trivia. And I liked, I appreciated how much was available to distract the kids obviously that's a big part of a disney cruise line is being able to entertain the children but i i also appreciated very much the adult no kids allowed area which was just extremely chill yeah we haven't really gone into the adult only area so much so if there's anything special or particular that you enjoy doing in the adult only area there, there's a pool there's a uh, like a pool bar the coffee shop that we love the cove cafe is in the adult area on all the ships so one of the things that I've told people after a cruise, because sometimes I get a funny look when I say I just went on a Disney cruise, I don't have any kids. And the people that I talk to, my, my peer group, are largely in the same boat. They don't, no, no pun intended, but they don't, <laughs> they don't have kids either. They're, they're, they're single or, or paired with someone, but they don't have a family yet. And they're like, why Disney? Really? But I have to say, it's actually quite easy if you are an adult traveler to be in an area that is not overly Disney. Mm -hmm. Like there are, there's always a subtle hint of Disney everywhere, but it is definitely um, much more low dose, low Disney dosage areas where it's much more just comfortable adult contemporary. Yeah. yeah. I feel like with the ships, it's much easier to control how much Disney you experience. You can have as much or as little as you want. And I think as an adult, it's probably much easier. I mean, you've kind of had, because we've, we've, Paul and us and Michael and Susan, who have been on the podcast, we've all traveled together on these two cruises. Paul's kind of had the experience of traveling with family, but kind of also having the solo experience as well. Yeah. So. And uh, I will say also that another high point in general was the spa. Mm -hmm. There's a day spa there that was quite nice. Again, um, not overly disney just nice yeah. adult contemporary easy and you did the census spa on the dream that's right correct where yeah. they have the hot tubs that overlook the ocean and the tiled chairs the that tiled you can chairs. just sit and read and relax and it's fantastic i highly recommend the census spa on the disney dream and on the magic and the wonder as well but they do not have um, an outdoorish area in there where you can overlook the ocean on the smaller ships, but on the larger ships, you do get that area with the hot tubs and the, the overview of the ocean as you're relaxing in your spa. But I think that's an important point about uh, traveling uh, on a Disney cruise line with a, uh, as an adult, is that you can, you can get the cleanliness and the attention to detail mm -hmm. and, the, the customer service. and the customer service of that Disney provides in general. And the food. And the food, which is no joke, but you aren't necessarily going to be overloaded with Disney if you no. don't want to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. You, the cruises afford you so much freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want. It's not a strict regimented do this, do that, do this, do that. It's really, it's a, it's a really nice way to vacation because it really, you just get to do whatever you want when you want and it's fantastic. And I, I would, yeah, I would say even with like a little bit of stooping on my part through certain areas. Uh, I hadn't cruised before my first Disney cruise, and I consider it a, a very positive overall experience. And also, I got to do some scuba diving with my dad, yeah. you know, in the Bahamas, which was amazing, and that was arranged through Disney. 
And so the, the extracurricular activities that you have available to you when you're off ship, uh, I actually thought were, were very nice. And you went parasailing too, right? On Castaway Key? That's right. I went parasailing on Castaway Key and snorkeling and then scuba diving in the Bahamas. And the parasailing, also, for anyone curious about parasailing, I'll say, I'll say this. It looks more extreme than it is. It is extremely <laughs> relaxing and passive. It's not like, whoa, I'm flying behind a boat. No, I mean, if you, I think if you're afraid of heights, it's going to be a problem um, because you are at a height and there's nothing you can do about it. But, but it is, especially like doing it at some place like the Bahamas, you can see through the water and it's just beautiful and it's quiet, uh, which is, I think is another aspect that I didn't think about until I was experiencing it, is that you're just up in the quiet looking at something beautiful, just, and, and not going at any kind of speed. So it was, it ended up being a much more chill experience than I thought it might've been. Well, that is this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure and head over to iTunes and leave us a review. We really appreciate that. And we will also read those on the air on our next episode. And also, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at HiHo Radio on Twitter and Instagram. I thought that was a fun conversation with Paul. I know. I really enjoyed that episode. It was so fun getting to hear all of the behind the scenes right. of D23. and Fun to talk to somebody that might create some of the magic. I know. Really yeah. neat. So thanks again to my brother, Paul, for being on the thanks, show. Paul. And my dad, Michael, thanks, Michael, for hanging out with us. We hope you all enjoyed the episode. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope you have a great one. We'll see you on Main Street. <laughs>